You ever uh, been at a place where when royalty arrived, when they showed up on the, the scene, you know, and all the, the pomp and circumstance, you know, the trumpet fanfare, all the security and the cost that it takes? I've, uh, I've never been in a place where, like, you know, a true royal person um, came into uh, uh, the room or into the city. Now, I've been in the city when the president came in or secretary of state, you know, everything shuts down, you know, for miles around them. The, uh, it was, it was uh, maybe 20-something years ago um, uh, when Queen Elizabeth came to the, the States and, you know, the, the royalty visited, you know, the... Uh, the, the the country and in that that visit um, it was uh, took all kinds of uh, um, needs in order to make that that royal visit um, happen. Uh, one, she came with uh, close to um, oh, it was it four or two four thousand pounds of luggage that she came on her visit yet to the United States. Um, uh, yet she had two outfits for every occasion, just in case, um, and had a, even a couple of outfits um, that were outfits for mourning in, in the sense of if a funeral were to happen, somebody were to, were to die and she were to need to attend um, that. Uh, she had 40 pints of plasma, just in case she was going to need like a blood transfusion. And um, she also had some white leather toilet seat covers um, with her. She, she brought her own hairdresser, two valets, and a host of other attendants um, for her visit. And so this particular visit, again, it was about 20 years ago, um, cost around, um, oh, where, I want to get these numbers, yeah, $20 million for that visit. That, that, now, that's a royal visit. You know, right there, right? And yet, we were just singing, Noel, come and see what God has done was a visit of the King of Kings, and yet there were no attendants, you know, no, no plasma except what was shed in the birth. They found their, their place in a barn, um, and then laid the newborn king in a feeding trough. And that was the true royal visit. Our question throughout this Advent is why? Why this kind of visit? And why make this this visit at all? Why leave the beauty and safety and security and ease and wonder of heaven? Why leave that to then enter into the brokenness of human existence? Why the one, because you know, Jesus is God the Son. We understand the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equally God, right? And God the Son then becomes human. So He was, he was there, God the Son, was at the beginning, you know, was before all time existed and will be at the end of all time. He, he was there at, to participate in causing the creation of all things, and yet now He became human, became part of the creation. Now why? Why do that? It, and what we'll look at today is just 
It's his, it's his nature, it's his character to give. I mean, God in his very character is generous. He gives for the benefit of others. And he always is giving for what is best. What is indeed the good of all creation. Now, our passage um, today is in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, it's found on 954 in your pew Bible, or you can follow along on the screen. It's Philippians chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 5. But let's, uh, let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for um, this time to gather, to worship you, to, to, to marvel, to consider just uh, the, the meaning of Christmas. And we pray that you would help open our, our minds, our souls, our, our very um, heart to, to receive you, to, to learn from you, to continue to, to go deeper into this mystery, into this miracle of God becoming human. So teach us, enable us just to wonder, enable us to to praise you, enable us to just marvel at your generous character. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. All right, uh, Philippians chapter 2, starting um, with verse 5. And um, what we're, we're reading here largely is considered one of the first Christian hymns. Uh, a song written you know, poetically considering the mystery of what we call the incarnation. You know, so incarnation means carn is like meat. You know, carne, carne, you know, chili con carne, you know, chili with meat. Well, this is the incarnation is God becoming, you know, in the flesh. You know, putting meat on the one who is spirit. Um, and one of the great mysteries of. Um, uh, Christianity. All right. So, uh, chapter five or chapter two, verse five. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so what we, we see at the, the, the beginning of this is that Jesus is God, right? He, he is God the Son and, and has the full character of God. means all-powerful. He is spirit. Um, he's not bound by human limitations. You know, he's not bound by time and space. Has all power, has all knowledge, yet he becomes a helpless baby. He, he becomes part of the creation and is dependent on creation. I mean, he's got to have his diapers changed. He's got to be cleaned when he dirties himself. He's dependent now on his mom's milk for nourishment. He's the one who knows all, but now as a teenager he has to ask questions. 
He's one who's not bound by time and space, but now is born in a particular place for a particular teenage mother named Mary in Bethlehem. How does this work? How in the world does, 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 does God, the Creator, funnel Himself into a human being like me or like you? I ran across this particular story, an, an illustration that maybe will um, help in terms of recognizing this, this generosity of God who, who set aside His position and privilege in order to serve, in order to die. For the world. Let's pretend, say that you have um, an appointment at the hospital, University Hospital, tomorrow, and you have a procedure that's being done, and you show up at the front door of, of the hospital looking to where to park. You have no idea. I mean, the place is crazy. There's always construction going on, and you, you, you're sitting there, and you're looking around, and this car pulls up next to you, and they roll down their window and say, hey, um, or you're lost, you need some help, and you're like, yeah, and you explain what your procedure is and where you need to go. And So the woman in the car next to you says, well, I'll tell you what, just follow me and I'll show you where you need to go. So she pulls off, you pull off behind her, and then she snakes her way through the maze and finally gets to the parking deck and goes up to the top floor because the place is packed, and she pulls into a parking place, and then you pull in right next to her, and she gets out of the car. And, and she says, well, come, come this way. And she leads you across the parking lot into the elevator down and then uh, through the walkway into the hospital. And you're starting to realize this woman knows her way around and that she must be a physician there because a couple people say, hey, doc, uh, on her way in. And she gets you to the registration desk that you need for your particular procedure. And then she heads off into the hospital and her work. And as you're sitting there, you know, talking to the person, doing all the stuff you need to do for registration, you know, give them their insurance card for the 15th million times so they can copy it, you know, and those kind of things, you know, that you have to do. And then um, you find out that this woman who had taken you all through the place wasn't just the doctor, but she is the chief surgeon, the chief of surgery for the hospital and has been for 10 years. And that she has power and prestige and all kinds of responsibility in this hospital. And yet, she drove you around, took you to your parking place, got out and walked with you to just the spot you needed to go. The whole time, she was the chief of surgery. The whole time, the power and prestige and responsibility hadn't changed at all. But she set it aside in order to serve you. In a small way. You, you, you explode that miraculously and that's what God the Son, never relinquishing His authority, never relinquishing His position, He emptied Himself taking on the form of humanity for us. That's, that's the generous character of God demonstrated ultimately in Jesus at the incarnation and then at its peak when He comes to die on the cross. But He doesn't just relinquish His position. doesn't just relinquish His safety and security. He then comes into human existence in order to, 
as Helen said, in order to die. He came for a purpose, to die. Now, just, just want us to think just for a moment. Who, who are people in your life, one person, one person in your life, who has, you would say, exemplified that same generous character? Now, one person who has given up their position in order to, to serve you, given up their, their security, their, their comfort in order to serve you. Who's, who's one person that comes to mind? And I want you to share that today at lunch. You know, share that, that person. Share that person with somebody else. Just share that story of how they exemplified that same character you know, for you. And the second question I want you to be thinking about, and maybe you know it. So a lot of you know this, and you know where God has called you and directed you. And how are you living out that same character of generosity? You know, it's not just generosity with our stuff, but generosity with our whole life. You know, it's, it's a character of giving. How is God calling you uh, to do that? And in both those, you know, share that. Share that with one other person um, today where you see it in others and how you feel like God's calling you to do the same. All right, so Jesus uh, not only leaves his position of privilege, but then he comes in order to put himself at risk, in order to die on the cross. Um, and, and you see that in uh, verse 7 and, uh, and 8. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, uh, God the Son, this, this great act of relocation, you know, the greatest act of relocation ever from heaven you know, to earth in order to die, to take our place and bring us forgiveness. Now, according to the world's standards, it's a foolish move. The most foolish move of downward mobility according to the world standards, but according to the character of God, it is the greatest act the world has ever seen. Because again, it's the, it's the very character of God to give, to enter into the pain and the mess in order to bring life and peace. The Son goes where the Father leads Him. According to the very character of God, He goes to the place and does the work that brings human salvation, human flourishing. That's, that's the character of generosity. A cheerful sacrifice for the benefit of others. I recently ran across this story of, of Withold Pilecki. Yeah, um, he was a captain in the Polish army in the 1940s. And uh, Paletsky pulled off one of these kind of radical relocations um, because he had, um, in that he became a prisoner, voluntarily became a prisoner in Auschwitz, uh, the death camp, concentration camp. And what, what he did, he was hearing stories of things that were going on at Auschwitz. And he's like, we've got to find out what, what this is. So Paletsky, he... Um, 
He, he got with his superiors and said, this is what I want to do. I, I want to become a prisoner embedded, in a sense, in Auschwitz. And so he uh, got a fake identity card. He um, got a... Uh, Got his, with a Jewish name, he was he was Polish Roman Catholic Christian, um, but he got a Polish name, a Polish identity card, and he moved into the Polish ghetto, and then um, the Jewish Polish ghetto, and then was arrested, and taken to Auschwitz, uh, where where there he uh, got his number four eight five nine, and where he was beaten, um, where he was starved, where he was despised, uh, where he was. Um, threatened with death over and over again and just in the midst of all kind of horrendous evil, death, murder, and genocide. But he stayed there. He stayed there and he, and he organized some of the, the prisoners. Um, he tried to help build up morale. Um, they were um, able to... He started chronicling what was happening so that there'd be a history from the inside. He, he recruited a few other folks just get writing utensils and strips of paper and just write them down. was even able to smuggle some out with some of the double agents that he knew. And in after about two years, they were able to collect enough spare parts even to form a rudimentary radio that they were even able to send messages out with and um, about three years after being there he got some folks that were working in the bakery and early one morning um, while the dough was rising he was out the back door and he escaped but that was uh, one of the great examples of that kind of generosity of, of character that you see in human beings as well and this is what was, was this is what was said of Pilecki, um that one he left um, for those three years left his wife and his two sons um, uh, in in Poland in order to go to Auschwitz and one of his um, biographers said this about Pilecki. human beings were the most precious thing to him and especially those who were oppressed he would do anything to liberate them to help them. That is a great expression of the character of God. To do what is necessary in order to liberate those who are oppressed by their own sin, by our own brokenness. This is why, as a church, we seek to serve the world like Jesus, no matter the cost. This is who we follow. You know, I, I continue to give thanks regularly for those who went before us in the, the, this church, and some of you even here, who in the 70s and 80s didn't do what a lot of churches like ours were doing, which was moving out of the city. The city's a scary place. It's a dangerous place. Let's move out. Let, let's go to a place that's, that's safer. And instead, the leaders here said, no, we, we are called to stay. We're called to follow after Jesus, to, to do the work that we need to do of bringing peace and truth and love in, in a scary, dangerous place. That's, that's why, as a church, we, we continue to pursue that kind of service. It's why we continue to, to pursue um, connecting in Jesus, no matter our differences, because even though that may be a challenge, it may be really hard, but we know it's the way of Jesus. I mean, 
I'll be clear, it's a, there's a whole lot of easier places to go be church. There's a whole lot of easier ways to be church than to truly try to live out the unity that Jesus has brought on the cross. To truly follow the one who is humble. To truly follow the one who relocated. To truly follow the one whose generosity was of his whole life. And that's what we seek to do as we serve the world like Jesus, as we connect in Jesus, no matter our differences. But the, the great news, friends, the, the great news is that this is, this is the way of God. I mean, look at the end. I mean, we, we can call it a sacrifice. We can call it hard. But from heaven's perspective, it's, all, it, it's a reward. Because we know it, it's the character of God to give like this. Verse 9, well, the end of what we just read. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, this is the way of eternity. The way of Jesus is the way that lasts. It is the way of joy. The writer of Hebrews tells us even that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before Him. It's not just out of some responsibility or some, some duty that we take up our cross. It is ultimately for joy. The very joy of God. That we live in. So here's my, my next uh, question for you. As you're thinking about the ways that you're serving, the ways that, you're, that, that, you're, um, that God's calling you to, to be generous with your, with your life like, like God is, you know, look for Jesus because He's there. You know, if you're, in the, you're doing what's in the character of Jesus, then look for Him there because He's going to be there. Now, I was just talking with Jenny Key. Um, just in between services. And she was sharing with me a story. And I said, Jenny, that story fits perfect on the, for the sermon today. And so do you want to share that story with me? And she had nowhere to turn. You know, She had to say yes um, at the time. And so now nobody's going to talk to me anymore. <laughs> but uh, just, the, just the story about with, with Feast of Love and some of some folks you met and came with her to serve in that way and just how they saw Jesus. So. I really don't mind sharing this, only because it's just so good to see God work. Um, and, and to begin this with a caveat, I am not a truly very intentional person. I kind of just blow with the wind. So this was certainly not because I'm so intentional about making relationships and doing things that this happened. It was just, I said, okay, and God blew it just blew the doors off of it. So a couple of weeks ago, I, I work for a newspaper. I'm a reporter, and I was, I was working on a story about um, families who have family members that are deployed during the holidays and uh, how they cope with having their loved ones in dangerous situations or just far away, and also how they pull those people back into their family during those holidays so they don't miss them too badly. And uh, I talked to several people, and one, one um, woman that I, I met, her name is Jessica. She's a, an African-American woman who owns a daycare center, and she has two grown sons. One of them's in Atlanta working at a job, and her younger son is deployed currently with the Marines and uh, not going to be home for Thanksgiving. And so we were talking about, you know, how you, how you cope with this. And we finished the interview, and I said, um, so what are you going to be doing on Thanksgiving? And she said, well, you know, it's funny. 
She said, um, I've always wanted to go to a church and serve Thanksgiving dinner to people who don't have anywhere to go. And out of my mouth, before I had any opportunity to think about it or stop it, <laughs> came, oh, my church does that. Would you like to go with me? Now, first of all, I hadn't had any idea that I was going to work at Feast of Love on Thanksgiving. So where that came from, it was not me. And she looked at me and said, I would love that. And I said, okay, I'll pick you up and we'll go together. And I walked out, sat in my car and thought, what just happened here? (laughs) So um, this was maybe a week before this happened. And uh, so I got busy, and I kind of forgot about it, to be perfectly frank. Um, But Jessica did not forget about it, and she called me the night before Thanksgiving and said, are we still on? And uh, I put my Uber cards down because we were playing cards with some friends, and I said, oh, sure, I'll pick you up tomorrow at noon. And my husband's looking at me like, where are you going? And I'm like, feast of love. I'm going to feast of love. He said, okay, fine. So I picked her up, and we came up here to Feast of Love. And she's she's such a great person. I was just so glad I got to meet her and have... And we're beginning kind of a little friendship there, and it's very cool. So we got here, and we're serving. We're doing different stuff. And uh, Feast of Love is going on. Um, Andrea Brown decided that Feast of Love really needed music, and so she went to Bev and said, would you like some music? And Bev, of course, said, yes, yes. She ran home, got her flute, came back, played her flute for a while, and then they started to sing Christmas carols. And um, in the singing of the Christmas carols, they... They sang. There was a woman who was there who has a lot of challenges, but she really liked to sing, so she got up with with her, and she sang with her, too. And um, the last hymn they were going to do is Oh Holy Night. Now, I I don't like to sing that hymn because it's hard. It's high, and it's just hard. But it was beautiful. Andrea has a great voice for that song, and she started to sing it. And um, from the back of the dining room, one of our guests who is blind and kind of not a person who really interacts with people, uh, started to sing too. And when he started to sing, he started singing in a voice that was like an operatic tenor, and it was a thing of beauty. And everything just kind of stopped while he sang, and Andrea came down from the stage where she was singing and stood next to him, and they finished the song. And as I looked over at the serving line, All of the people that are in the serving line, including the woman who came with me, are tears are flowing. My tears are flowing because it was just such a beautiful moment where God was able to connect with that man. He really had not had a lot to say, but he was connected to it, and you could just feel the spirit moving in that. Um, I think a lot of times if we just say yes, God will make those things happen. We don't have to be big and intentional. We don't have to start a ministry. We don't have to have programs and signs. Those are great things, and it's good that we do them. But really, I think what God is calling us to is just open our mouth and let what he wants to come out of it. And when that happens, then we see him work. Thanks, Jim. It's a simple illustration of just experiencing the joy of God from unlikely places, um, even there. So why did God become human? It's because it's His character. His very character is to give. His very character is one that is, is generous. And He wants to be generous in order to bring salvation and healing and wholeness 
It may be that the mess um, of the day is yours. It may just be that it, it's a mess, and it, it may be all your fault, or it may not be your fault at all, or it may be partly your fault. In a way, it doesn't matter. Somehow, you've gotten yourself in a mess. I want to tell you, that doesn't stop Jesus from entering into the midst of it. Even, even if it's all your fault, even if it's all because of your, your mistakes and your sin, the, the very character of Jesus that we celebrate, particularly during Advent, is His generosity to enter into the brokenness and the mess that I get myself into, that you get yourself into, that we get ourselves into, in order to bring life. Jesus doesn't go to the easy places. He goes to the hard places that we make for ourselves to meet us there. That's his character. That's why he was born. Amen.